Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone. And I've often wondered, you know, why does God seem silent? Why does God seem distant? Uh, If you've ever wondered where is God, particularly as a Christian, sometimes you may go through seasons in life where you feel like God is being silent. Or perhaps God feels just so distant that you feel like he's a a million miles away. And it makes you want to just scream, God, what's going on? Where are you? Why why don't I sense your presence? And there's a lot of possible reasons for that. But let me narrow it down a little bit. Assuming that you... Uh, can say it's well with my soul that everything's right between you and God and you and other people and sin is not an issue uh, then then the question really becomes God where are you what what's going on why do you feel so distant why do you why do you seem so silent Uh, I I don't know if I can fully answer that question but we're going to look at how to deal with that issue today Uh, I do know that in my life I can remember times where I've felt that way And I never really understood what was going on at the time, but I can tell you that when I look back, it reminds me of of being a kid and maybe you you go to a neighbor's house and they're working on the car and they're under the hood and and they want everybody real quiet so they can focus and, and get whatever they're doing done. Not that God needs to concentrate. He's almighty God. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He can do anything. But I do want to suggest this. Sometimes maybe God is silent because he's speaking more through his actions than he is through his words. And we don't see that when it's happening. But when we look back, we notice that perhaps that's what God was doing. And his actions always are consistent with his character and they speak for themselves. But let's look at Job today how he handled this issue of where is God. If you're familiar with Job, uh, just a quick recap. Job uh, is perhaps the oldest book in the Bible. We know that Job was a righteous man because God tells us he was. There was no one on earth like Job. And uh, there's this conversation between God and the devil. And God allows the devil to wreak havoc in Job's life because the devil thinks God, if you'll just let me take things away from Job, he will curse you to his face. Why wouldn't he love you, God? You've blessed him. You're, look what all you've, how you've blessed him and you've provided things for him. If you take away all the stuff, he'll curse you to his face. So in one day, in a New York minute, Job loses everything. All of his flocks, herds, cattle. He had 10 kids and they all die in this tragic accident on the same day. In one blink... Everything changes for, for, for Job. He also goes on to lose his health, and everybody is going, poor Job. He has three friends that come and silently support him and grieve with him for seven days, and then Job speaks. And once he speaks, the whole book is centered around three series of conversations that Job and his three friends have we looked at round one a couple of weeks ago. It's, all of, it's a discussion all about why has this happened. And then last week we looked at round two, which was a debate about uh, what God does to the righteous and the wicked because they're really thinking that Job must have done something wrong. And so he's defending his integrity and they're talking about how God treats the righteous and the wicked. And today, round three, it, it becomes 
It starts out as a discussion, it becomes a debate, and now it gets ugly. It's a dispute between Job and his friends about his relationship with God. Uh, the first of the three friends is, is Eliphaz. And Eliphaz, friend number one, becomes this prosecuting attorney. If you, if you were to read Job 22, I'll just give you the tone and the flavor of that chapter. Eliphaz becomes a prosecutor. He believes that Job is a sinner. He's not being honest and he refuses to repent. So therefore, you got what you deserve, buddy. And so that's his outlook to Job. How does Job uh, respond is what we'll look at. I love what Warren Wiersbe said about Eliphaz. He says, he says some excellent things in this appeal, but he says them to the wrong man. Because Job is not a sinner. He is a man that's been saved. He knows the Lord. He's a man of integrity. You might say, how can you say that? Because in Job chapter 1, God said that there's no one else on earth like Job, who fears me and shuns evil. And that's God's testimony of Job. Well, at any rate, we will find out when we get to the end of this story, uh, at the end of the, Job, the letter of the book of Job, uh, we'll find out that Eliphaz and his two friends are the, are the three people that are out of fellowship with God, and they'll need to be restored to God, and Job will have to pray for them, but that's getting the cart before the horse. So look, if you will, in uh, Job 23. Now, at this point, Job is going to reply to friend number one, the prosecuting attorney, who says, Job, you know, you're a sinner. You, you're, you're not being honest. You refuse to repent. You, you, you're you getting what you deserve. And so how does Job respond to that? In, in uh, chapter 23, at this point, Job ignores the words of his friends. He focuses on the Lord, and he's made it clear that his beef is not with man but with God. Look in Job 23, verse 1. Then Job answered, Today also my complaint is bitter. His hand is heavy despite my groaning. If only I knew how to find him so that I could go to his throne. I would plead my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would learn how he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he prosecute me forcefully? No, he would certainly pay attention to me. Then an upright man could reason with him and I would escape from my judge forever. If I go east, he is not there. And if I go west, I cannot perceive him. When he's at work to the north, I cannot see him. When he turns to the south, I cannot find him. Yet he knows the way I have taken. When he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. Now that is a man who is rock solid in his confidence in God. Job is saying, I've got a bitter complaint. And y'all aren't helping me. But I just want to go to God. I'm tired of talking about it. I'm tired of dealing with it on this level. I'm ready to go to God and deal with it on this level. I'm ready to find God. Where can I go find Him? If I go to the east, the west, the north, the south, He's not there. I can't find Him. I don't know where He is, but He knows the way I've taken. He knows the path I have walked, and I know that when He's tested me, I'm going to come forth like pure gold. Now, that is a man who is solid and secure in his relationship with God. And here is Job, despite the trials, despite the suffering, and can I add on top of all that, the misunderstanding of friends and family. Here is Job that is solid and secure in his relationship with God. But there's still one burning question that he doesn't know the answer to. Where is God? Where is God? 
He's going, God, where are you? If I could just go to you right now, everything would be okay. If I could just have my day in court and have an opportunity to say what's on my mind, if, if I just could do that, where is God? He wants to plead his case with God. And if you uh, read the rest of his reply, he goes on to wonder why the wicked sometimes succeed and the righteous sometimes struggle, even though it's a temporary thing, it happens in this life. Life's not just completely black and white, where if you do good, everything's going to go great, and if you do bad, things aren't going to go good at all. Job is saying if we're honest, the person who doesn't know God at all can have a prosperous life, a successful life, but guess what? It's just temporary. One of these days when, when eternity comes, when Christ comes and we see things for what they really are, we're going to find out that it was just a facade. We're going to find out that it was just pretty veneer, but underneath it wasn't as pretty as we thought it was. And Job is being really honest about what you see in life. What you see in life you think is real and sometimes it's not. The wicked do succeed and the righteous do struggle, uh, but it's temporary. Where? is God. Well, then you have friend number two. Friend number two is Bildad. And he speaks in chapter 25. It's so short that I'm tempted to read it to you, but I want. Uh, he, he asks a few questions there. Uh, Bildad basically says God is powerful and just. And what he implies by that is if God is powerful and just, then there's nobody innocent, <coughs> including you, Job. That's a backhanded way of saying it, but that's the innuendos of what Bildad is saying to Job. He makes it short. He makes it sweet. That's all he's got to say. So how does Job handle friend number two? He rebukes uh, Bildad for his lack of help. He acknowledges God's power. I mean, my goodness, we all know God is powerful. We all know God is just. In other words, Job has a hint of sarcasm and says, Tell me something we don't all know, Bildad. Uh, Bildad has been very strong. Remember, Bildad is the one that told Job, I guess this happened because your kids sinned. Don't forget that. If you read earlier in the book, I mean, Bildad came on really strong to Job, uh, telling him and giving him the right act. So here is Bildad. He's, he's keeping it brief now. And yet Job's reply to him uh, is... is acknowledging God's power, questioning God's justice, and seeking God's wisdom. Look, if you will, in Job 27. We'll get, a, we'll get a little bit of a feel for it. In Job 27, verse 2, Job says, As God lives, who has deprived me of justice, and the Almighty who has made me bitter, as long as my breath is still in me and the breath from God remains in my nostrils, my lips will not speak unjustly and my tongue will not utter deceit. I will never affirm that you are right. I will maintain my integrity until I die. I will cling to my righteousness and never let it go. My conscience will not accuse me as long as I live. I'd say that's probably as dogmatic as you're going to see Job in the whole book. But Bildad brought it out in him because Bildad was that way too. And so Job just said, look, I'm never going to admit that you're right. I know that God knows my heart. I know that I am living as best as I know how. And I know that I'm going to maintain my integrity until I die. I'm going to cling to my righteousness. I'm not going to let it go. And so 
Job basically says, you know, I know you don't believe me. I don't, you, I don't expect you to at this point. I just want to hear from God. You know, I can relate to that. There are times in my life when uh, I look around, I look around, and then I finally go, you know, forget this. God, what are you doing? God, what are you saying? God, what do you want from me? God, what do you want to do in my life? Uh, we can get caught up sometimes in situations and circumstances, but ultimately what matters is not what man thinks or does or says, but it's what God says. And we have to have that approach. We have to take that approach. Here Job is saying, I'm going to defend and maintain my integrity. I like, I like that. He, he, says, he says there, I will maintain my integrity until I die. Not only has Job maintained his integrity through this entire ordeal of suffering and misunderstanding and stuff, but he says, I'm going to continue to maintain my integrity until I die. What a, what a statement there that I'm going, to, I'm going to keep my focus on God and I'm going to do what I know is right and I'm going to do that to the very, very end. Look in Job 28 for a moment. In Job 28, uh, he, he says that he's going to seek for wisdom. Matter of fact, look in Job 28, verse 12. He says, but where can wisdom be found and where is understanding located? And then skip on down to verse 20 and he says it again. Where then does wisdom come from and where is understanding located? And then he ultimately tells us in verse 23, but God understands the way to wisdom. And he knows its location. For he looks to the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When God fixed the weight of the wind and distributed the water by measure, when he established a limit for the rain and a path for the lightning, he considered wisdom and evaluated it. He established it and examined it. He said to mankind, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn from evil is understanding. Isn't that the very thing that God said about Job in the very first chapter? There's nobody on earth like Job who fears me and shuns evil. You can say by that definition and by what we just read here in Job 28, 28, that that is the epitome of wisdom. So, you know, aside from Solomon, I would say the wisest person in the Bible would be Job. Why? Because he feared God. And he shunned evil. And even when he went through the worst trial that anybody could imagine, losing all of his possessions, losing all of his kids, and his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? And yet he remains uh, steadfast in his faith. He maintains his integrity. He says, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What a righteous and wise man Job was. He says, I want to search for wisdom. Where can I find it? You know, they, they dig for gold. They mine for coal. They go, uh, they go and hunt for all these treasures. But where is wisdom located? God knows where wisdom's located. It comes from Him. It begins with a relationship that we have with Him. When you fear Him and you turn from evil. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? I love what uh, Warren Wiersbe said about this. He says, the fear of the Lord is loving reverence for God, who He is, what He says, and what He does. It's not a fear that paralyzes, but one that energizes. I love that. 
When you fear the Lord, what do you do? You obey His commands, you walk in His ways, you serve Him, you're loyal to Him, and you give Him wholehearted service. And so like Job, when you fear the Lord, you turn from evil. The fear of the Lord is the fear that conquers fear, because if you fear God, you don't have to fear anything or anyone else. And that is so true. What's amazing, as we continue to look at Job, you'll find that friend number three, who is Zophar, doesn't speak. He spoke in round one. He spoke in round two. But in round three, Zophar doesn't speak. And so Job speaks. He pauses. Zophar doesn't say anything. Job keeps talking. And that's where we are in the narrative. And so now Job gives his final appeal in chapters 21 uh, 29, excuse me, 29, 30, and 31, Job gives his final repute, uh, appeal. Uh, you know, he's reviewing his life. He's introspective. He's challenging God to either vindicate him or judge him. In other words, he's taking his, his case to the highest court in the land. He's tired of talking to his friends. They haven't been much help. They think he's the problem. He knows that he's not the problem. He just doesn't know why it's happened. If you go back and read the beginning of Job, Job didn't do anything wrong. He's a righteous man. He's doing what he always does. And he doesn't know about this conversation between God and the devil. He doesn't know about the spiritual warfare. He doesn't know that God is allowing the devil to wreak havoc in his life. And yet he refuses to curse God and die. He maintains his integrity. Matter of fact, he passes the test, you might say. Uh, everything that Job does validates what God said about Job before this ever even happened. But here is Job. He doesn't know that. Just like you and I, we just don't know it. I remember being a little kid, seeing my grandmother, you know, knit. And I was sitting in the floor, and she was in her chair, and she was knitting. And if you've ever noticed people knitting, if you're looking from underneath, you're just seeing the little knots, you're seeing this, you're seeing that, and you're like, what is going on up there? But then when I would stand up and, and look over her shoulder at what she had, it was this beautiful pattern and design that she was making for this quilt. I think a lot of times that's what it's like in our relationship with God. God is weaving something beautiful into our lives, and it's beautiful. But we're, we're from down here. We're looking up going, this doesn't make sense. Why are you doing that, God? This doesn't look right but we're not seeing it from his perspective. And that was Job. He wasn't seeing things from God's perspective. Job begins to review his life. He remembers the blessings of the past. Look, if you will, in Job 29, verse 2. Um, he says, If only I could be as in months gone by in the days when God watched over me. Now, I could keep reading, but let that sink in. Because everything that follows in that chapter is built on this one head turn. If only it could be like it used to be. You ever caught, your, caught yourself saying that? You know, you're going through a tough time now. Maybe you're going through a, a trial. Maybe you're wondering where God is. It doesn't make sense. And you're just like, man, I wish I could go back to simpler days and times. If only it could be fill in the blank the way it used to be. That's what Job's saying there. If only I could be as in months gone by in the days when God watched over me. He's looking back and he begins to remember all the blessings. He would go out to the city gate. He would go to the town square. Uh, people respected him. People listened to him. All of these things. But then in chapter 30, 
he laments the suffering of the present. Look in verse 1. But now they mock me. Men younger than I am, whose fathers I will refuse to put with my sheepdogs. What do you know? Job's a little country boy. Didn't know that, did you? I love that. They mock me, even people younger than I, whose father I would refuse to put with my sheepdogs. I don't know how bad that is, but it sounds pretty bad to me. And that's Job. And then you skip on down to verse 9. Now I am mocked by their songs. I become an object of scorn to them. And then slide on down to verse 16. Now my life is poured out before me, and days of suffering have seized me. And so now Job is lamenting what he's going through. He's talking about being mocked and disrespected and insulted and mistreated by all these people. And his suffering and his pain just keeps piling up. But clearly it's real and he feels every bit of it. And then in um, chapter 31, in Job 31, he begins to turn to the future. And he challenges God to vindicate him. Look, if you will, in Job 31, verse 35. And if you were to look at Job 31, what you would find is 16 different times Job defends himself. 16 different times. If I've done this, or if I've done that, or if I've done this, then let God deal with me. He's very clear that he hasn't done anything wrong. He's defending his integrity. And in Job 31, verse 35, He says, if only I had someone to hear my case. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Let my opponent compose his indictment. I would surely carry it on my shoulder and wear it like a crown. I would give him account of all my steps. I would approach him like a prince. Basically, Job is uttering something that everybody believed back in his day and time, that if somebody was being charged with something, they had a right to know, number one, what they were being charged for, and then in turn, they would have a right to refute or defend uh, themselves against those charges. And here is Job saying, what are my charges? I'm going to God. I know y'all don't believe me. Y'all are looking at me like I've done something wrong. I tell you, I haven't. And he says, God knows my heart. And then he says, God, I'm appealing to you. And he's asking God to show up, which is kind of funny because it's going to happen. You'll see it uh, in, in the next couple of weeks. But for now, Job is appealing to God. And he's challenging God, either vindicate me and prove that I'm right or judge me and let's get it over. And that's exactly where Job is. So the question this morning is this. What do you do when you cry out, where is God? There's so many things I could say this morning, but to keep it in line with the story of Job, when you're going through something you don't understand, when you feel like you're suffering, when you feel like an outcast, when you feel like no one else cares and no one understands, what do you do? When you say, where is God? I'm going to give you two simple takeaways today. Number one, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. I want you to look in Job again. We're going to look at a couple different places in Job and then turn to the New Testament. I want you to see how the questions that Job asks are answered in Jesus Christ. You see, there in Job 23, where we first started, 
In Job 23, verse 2, when he said, My complaint is bitter, and God's hand is heavy despite my groaning. And then Job says this in 23, verse 3, If only I knew how to find Him, how to find God, so that I could go to His throne. Uh, and in essence, Job is saying, God, I just wish I knew where you were. I'd show up. If I knew you held court on Monday, I'd be there first thing Monday morning. Lord, I just wish I could go to where you are, that I could go to your throne and have my day in court. Have you ever felt that way? You, 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 you feel isolated, you feel alone, you feel like nobody else understands or cares, and you just want God to show up and do something. And then it's like, where is God? God, why are you silent? Why do you feel distance? God, if I could just find you, I would show up right now where you are, and we would get this thing done. We'd get it settled. It would be over with. Well, if you've ever felt that way, I want you to know this. In the New Testament, Jesus answers the question that Job asked. In John 14, 9, Jesus said to the disciples, Have I been among you all this time and you do not know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Here is Jesus. Now, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he is the Lord. And if you evaluate those options and you look at God's word, I think you'll come to the conclusion that he is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. He's the Messiah that the scriptures predicted. And here he is with his disciples. And they say, Lord, show us the Father. Just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And what does Jesus say? He says, you mean I've been around you all this time and Philip, you don't know me? The one who's seen me has seen the Father. Jesus claims to be God because He is God, God in the flesh. And so when you wonder, where is God? Where is He at? He's come. He broke into our world. His name is Jesus Christ. And one of these days, He's coming again. We serve a God that is a personal God. He became one of us. He lived and walked among us. And yet, even though he was tempted, he never sinned. And now he's that sinless, spotless uh, um, Lamb of God that was slain for you and I. And guess what? He died a criminal's death that we deserve and he took our place. And now he's showing us how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Where is God? He's come to us in Jesus and through Jesus. And so when you cry out, where is God? You need to realize you need to come to Jesus. There's nowhere else you can go to be closer to him than coming to Jesus. And then there's the second takeaway, and that's receive his mercy. Look, if you will, in Job 31 for a moment. At the end of, of the narrative that we looked at today, when Job is defending himself and making his appeal to God, there in Job 31, verse 35, he utters these words. If only I had someone to hear my case. Here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. What a bold statement from any man. And here is Job saying it. I want God to hear my case. I want to have my day with God in court. Here's my signature. Where do I sign? 
That's Job. That's where he's at. He's appealed to the highest authority there is. Let me have my day with God in court. I want him to hear my case. Ultimately, Job is wanting mercy. He believes that he'll, he'll get it because he doesn't believe he's done anything unjust. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's defended himself 16 times in chapter 31. If I've done this, then, then go ahead and throw a stone at me. If I've done that, then go ahead and throw me under the bus. If I've done this, that, and the other, then let God strike me dead. But I want to tell you, I want to have my day with him in court. That's Job. And so he says, I need his mercy for this time to pass, for this season to move forward. That is the cry. If only someone could hear my case. And that answer comes in Hebrews 12. In the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12, we see, uh, as the Hebrew writer mentions something about Jesus, and he's told us how Jesus is greater than Moses, and he's greater than the temple, and, and all of these things. And now in Hebrews chapter 12, he brings it to the logical conclusion and in Hebrews 12, he utters these words in light of the old covenant that God had with Israel and now looking at the new covenant that is ushered in by Jesus Christ. I want you to look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 22. He says, Instead, you have come to Mount Zion. In other words, you haven't come to Mount Sinai where there was trembling and fear and all of these things, but you have come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. Now, there's so much there, and I'm going to just bottom line it for you. You know, the Hebrew writer was talking to Jews, and they were deeply uh, solid in the Old Testament Scriptures. And those couple of verses I read to you have several allusions and references to, to themes that are in the Old Testament that they would have immediately caught. And to the average person today, it's just going to go, what is that? But... And, in the end, the bottom line is this. He's saying we have come to a point, we've come to a place to where you've got a decision to make. And we're talking about your relationship with the living God. And he paints the picture of the ultimate end when we are in that heavenly city, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. And all the angels are there. All the assembly uh, and gathering is there. Those who, whose names have been written in heaven. And there is the throne. And on that throne is a judge who is God of all. And he's the one that's made the people that are there righteous and fit to be there. And it's all because of Jesus. And it says to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood. And we know that covenants were not official. They were not ratified. They were not made active unless there was a shedding of blood. And here it's Jesus' blood that we're talking about. And he says, Jesus' blood, which says better things than Abel. Now, what is that talking about? Go back in your mind. Go back to the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And then after six days, he made, uh, on the sixth day, he made man. 
he made Adam and then he made Eve. He told them to be fruitful and multiply. And then you had the first family. You had Adam and Eve. And you had Cain and Abel, the first two brothers. And one day they were bringing an offering, a sacrifice to God. And God approved of Abel's sacrifice. And he did not approve to, of Cain's sacrifice. And Jane, Cain burned with anger towards his brother. And the next thing you know, they're out in a field and Cain kills his brother Abel. And Abel's blood was shed. And at that point, that's the first time we're even let in on the fact in the Bible that blood can do anything. Abel's blood is shed. And when God comes to his brother Cain, and Cain utters those infamous words, Am I my brother's keeper? Okay, God comes to Cain and says, Do you hear the cry of your brother from his blood that's been spilt? That's a paraphrase, but that's in, in effect what God said. Abel's blood cried out for justice. I want justice. I'm going down and I'm going down and I don't even have a chance to fight. I'm being killed by my own brother and my blood cries out for justice. And God heard that cry from the blood of Abel, crying out for justice. And now here is the Hebrew writing, writer saying, you've got a decision to make. Are you going to come to Jesus and are you going to receive his mercy? Because one of these days, this world is going to look completely different than you know it right now. One of these days, you're going to be standing face to face before God. You're going to be looking at him upon his throne. You're going to see the angels. You're going to see it all. And then the question is going to be, what did you do with Jesus Christ, who was the mediator of a new and better covenant, and whose sprinkled blood speaks a better word than that of Abel? Because Abel's blood cried out for justice, but Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. The one who hung on that cross, as he's hanging on that cross, says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus is willing to give mercy to anyone who is willing to come to him and turn from their sins and put their trust in Jesus and follow him. They will find mercy. If you want to know where is God, where can I find Him, what can I do, why is He so silent, why does He seem so far away and distant? Can I tell you something? God's not. He came through His Son, Jesus Christ. If you want to know where God is, come to Jesus. You'll find Him and receive His mercy. It may not, it may not make your problems go away, but it'll settle a lot of issues that you have in your heart. Come to Jesus. Receive His mercy. The mediator of a new covenant whose sprinkled blood says better things than the blood of Abel. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.